Welcome to episode 20 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in actual physical studio. We're here. We are here by a man who is now officially and finally and completely and legally in every sense of the term married John Sloat. Yes, yes. Got married this weekend. Yeah. Very uh, Friday, uh, three o'clock. You know, you yeah. got to perform the ceremony, which was very exciting for Andrea and I. That was great. And uh, yeah, the 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 hardest thing we're doing right now is trying to figure out, okay, how do we change Andrea's name? Because we have all these checks. Oh, yeah. With her, uh, my name and her name. So we have to have a joint account, but it's right. her new last name right. on there, which we haven't changed with. Right. The Social Security Office, everything, which is closed, by the way. Oh, wow. And trying to get that all done. So we're like contacting people. Hey, we're going to be sitting on this check for a while. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. And uh, also, I, I realized this over the weekend. She has the benefit of not having to change her initials. No. That's always a nice little quirk yeah. there of, you know, not changing the yeah. initials. But that can be a pain. When you go Stark to Sloat, it, yeah. uh, it works out. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, we, we certainly want to encourage our listeners to uh, touch base with us. You can follow us on Twitter at V&SPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Facebook. Give us a like on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Various and Sundry Podcast. And we want to affirm that our listeners have stepped up to the plate yeah. and begun to more consistently give us some reviews. And we had a new review this past week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the big takeaway from that review, it was glowing. Yes. It was, it was lovely. Uh, the, the author of the, of the review called us quirky. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I, I like it. Okay. I, I like the term quirky, you know? Okay. It's, it's, we're intriguing, you know? Okay. We got our own uh, own little uh, little things that we do. Yeah, you know? we're a little odd. Yeah, I I think quirky is one of those terms that can be good or bad, right? Yeah, like you know, if if someone is different in an awkward way, you know, like if you meet a person who's kind of awkward, you might say, well, they're they're quirky. They're a little quirky. Yeah. So that's that's one of those beautiful wiggle words, isn't it? Yeah. Where you Agreed. just don't know necessarily how to take that, but I. I think it was intended very positively, and so we're we'll, going to take it that way. We'll, at least we'll wear we're it. Positive as, people. We'll wear it as a badge of honor. If you want to join in and add your voice to the growing chorus of reviews on uh, on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. Throw us a five star rating. We'd love to uh, to see that. And uh, as per usual, this uh, we'll, we'll start by talking about the last dance, which. The final two episodes dropped uh, this past weekend. And so um, what are some of your initial thoughts, if you want to give thoughts about those last two episodes or even just big picture on the whole uh, docu-series? Yeah, yeah. I So I was young when all this was happening. So I was um, – they, they won the championship in – the championship that they followed this whole time was 98. Yeah. Uh, I was born in 88. So I was 10 years old, and I had a – memory of it happening mm-hmm. but don't remember all the storylines so that's been fun to revisit yeah uh to see steve kerr's last shot there yeah uh to see his uh, acceptance or his uh his victory speech where he says he had to bail mj out yeah i'd never heard that before and that was uh that was fantastic um and then to hear i i thought one of the big reveals one of the big pieces of news was 
the flu game was really food poisoning. Yeah. Uh, where MJ came out and dropped a, a ton of points while sick. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's always been known as Jordan had the flu and did this. Right. Now it's the food poisoning game, which does not have the same ring. No, it doesn't. And even just the sketchy circumstances around, you know, wanting to get food. There's no room service. I mean, it, it, what that, hotel does not have room service? <laughs> well, it's Utah, but still. Yeah, it was it was weird. And then he has. It sounds like three or four people in the room with him. Yeah, they order a pizza, and Michael's the only one who eats it. Well, five guys show up to deliver it, which is immediately a red flag of like, yes. okay, wait a minute. It does not take five people to deliver a pizza. Yeah. And so um, all the rest of the people in the room apparently were like, Michael, this looks sketchy. I don't know that I want to touch that. And apparently MJ was hungry enough that he just went ahead and ate it. So I, I heard an interview yesterday with the director of the documentary, mm-hmm. and he said that the reason those guys didn't eat it is because when the pizza got there, Jordan wanted it to himself. Oh, really? And so he spit all over the pizza. Oh, my gosh. And so this was something normal that Jordan <laughs> did. If he didn't want security guards touching food or anything, he'd just spit on it and, like, claim it for himself. And yet that didn't make it into the uh, last No, dance. no, that did not make it into the documentary. <laughs> well, okay, speaking of things that didn't make it into the documentary— Anything that caught your attention in terms of glaring omissions or things that you're like, it's curious that they didn't talk about this. Um, they didn't talk about his wizard days at all. Correct. So it, it kind of like, and Jordan rode into the sunset <laughs> yes. as a as a champion in ni- 1998, but I believe in, uh, was it 2001? Uh, he came back with the Washington Wizards for a couple years. A couple think. years, Yeah. Uh, so that that felt like I was kind of waiting for them to get there because I remember the wizard years. You know, yeah. by that point I was paying attention. I was right. I was following, but no, never never no. mentioned the wizards. No, that's yeah. I to me I did notice that, but to me it also um, the to me the biggest glaring omission was I don't remember a single mention of his wife or wives. Actually, now he's been married twice. Other than they showed his kids in the last episode talking about how their mom was uncomfortable with them going to the games in Utah. Hmm. And so to me, that just struck me as the ultimate example. And this is part of my takeaway from the whole series. That as much as I enjoyed it, as much as I thought it was great, it became very obvious that it is... Um, not quite a piece of Jordan propaganda, but close. Meaning that because he had editorial control of what went in there, you got a very slanted view Absolutely. of everything in there. Not that there wasn't tr- that there weren't true things in there, and not that I didn't enjoy it. I loved it. It was very uh, fun to watch on a nostalgic level because I was. That was in my um, – that, that whole period was like in my late teens, early 20s kind of window of basketball. So I was very aware of what was going on and you know, MJ being the obvious greatest player in the league at that point, if not at, already at that point, recognized as he's going to go down as the, as the GOAT. Um, but the fact that not a single mention of his first wife, the mm-hmm. mother of those older kids – 
and the fact that she got the largest divorce settlement in U.S. history, from what I understand. Really? Yes. A hundred. I think it's like $168 million. Well, did, because uh, Bezos, uh, the, the guy at Amazon recently got divorced, and she took, she became like the fourth or fifth richest woman in America uh, when, when that divorce happened. Yeah, and maybe it's just so, uh, ranking that in the celebrity world, but um, it was some enormous amount of money. Hmm. And um, the fact that they were, that, that she was not mentioned at all. He has since remarried, and he also has, I believe, twin daughters, I think, from this second wife who he's currently married to. I think they got married in like 2012 or something, 2013. And so, like, no mention of that at all. And yeah. the kids barely appeared. They appeared in the last episode, basically. And I thought it was a glaring omission that given the emphasis that they placed on MJ's relationship with his dad, that it had almost nothing on MJ as a dad. Yeah. No, what that's kind of relationship I did, not did think he about have yeah. with his kids? Hmm. The, no mention of that. Like, like the whole first, what, probably few episodes were largely Constantly. talking about his relationship with his dad and how important that was and how his death just devastated him, led him to go off to play baseball, and not a word of what kind of dad is MJ to his own kids. Yeah. That, that to me, struck me as just— Further evidence of either, uh, well, most likely, MJ didn't want anything to do with that in the doc. And so if the director did something towards that, that MJ was like, nope, don't want it in there. Yeah. And and I, I heard some chatter yesterday about this documentary winning some awards, you know, that, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I think the fact that MJ had such control, I just don't think he can—it's— it's not a documentary. I think it's a little closer to propaganda. Yeah. Um, more more than anything, it, it disguised as a documentary. And right. you got to put out some negative things, right? You talk about the gambling. You talk yep. about. Um, you talk about all, all the things that went on. Um, yeah. However, I don't think I really. You know, you said it's it's getting close to propaganda. I think it. I think it is propaganda. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a little bit of him basically. I mean, the you know who who this is really about that's never mentioned. This is really about LeBron. Yeah. Right? I think so. Uh, this is really about Michael coming out and saying, hey, I'm still the best, even though LeBron's won a bunch in a bunch of different cities, you know, yeah. I'm still the best. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of trolling LeBron. Right. Who would have been an interesting person to be interviewed for this as yeah. well. And he was never talked to as far yeah. as, at least it didn't make the documentary. Isn't that interesting? Like, like you, I mean, you really had, you had the nod to Kobe and you wonder is that just because he died? Yeah. Like if Kobe hadn't died, would there have been that even? And that was brief. That was a brief little that segment. Was, I thought way too brief. At the beginning of one of those episodes. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me. It, it felt odd, to be honest, that the way they did it. But in any case, um, the fact that you didn't have um, current players even talking about uh, – their impressions of of MJ like growing up like you could have easily done a segment on LeBron talking about well growing up you know I I idolized MJ and you know I yeah. did this and wanted to be like him in this way and um it's just interesting that that when you stop like 
after you enjoy the whole thing, you look back and go, oh, they didn't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't mention that. Or it seems obvious that you might want to talk about this. Yeah, and they didn't interview Carl Malone, or Carl Malone refused to be interviewed. You know, there's even some past players that were like, I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. I don't want to be a part of that. Though I did see, I read an article about the fact that um, Scottie Pippen and Carl Malone are actually really good friends. Really? Yeah. Didn't make the documentary, obviously. It's not really about Scotty. Though, I think Scotty Pippen got a little bit uh, shortchanged, I think. Mm-hmm. That he was not presented as positively as he could have been. There's a lot more focus on the negatives, the refusing to go in at the end of the game, the contract disputes. And- I mean, he didn't help himself when he goes, yeah, I wouldn't go in at the end of the game still. That yeah. that, that did not help things. Agreed. Regardless of context, you know, you can, you can make that argument about anything. But... He, you know, that line is not helping him. <laughs> Correct. I also think that for uh, a younger generation watching this, they probably had one of the more eye-opening experiences in finding out about Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr had a big part in this uh, yeah. in The Last Dance. Lots of interviews with him, lots of discussion. And the fact that they revealed in this, was it the last episode or the second to last episode, whichever one, that his dad— was a professor of Middle Eastern studies at UCLA and yeah. then served as the president of American University in Beirut in uh, 1984, where he was then murdered. Yeah, that's that's an insane—like, I had no idea. No, I didn't either. And so—but then they asked him, did you ever talk with MJ about the fact that you had this this sort of shared experience of your dad was murdered? And he's like, Never. Yeah, I, I just don't think MJ wanted to wanted to wanted to interact on that level. Just never, yeah, but you also think he just never had those kind of relationships with his teammates. At least it seems that way. To talk about those kind of deeply personal things. What did you think about Phil Jackson's send off to the '98 team, where they all got in a room and wrote what the team meant to them on a piece of paper and threw it in a coffee can and burned it? <laughs> and MJ wrote a poem. Doesn't that feel Christian campy to you? Totally. Totally. And what are the Bulls going to say? What did Dennis Rodman say? (laughs) Thanks for letting me take a mid-season vacation to Vegas. And and, uh, and, uh, was it Eastern Conference Finals to to be a part of WWE? (laughs) Yeah. Very strange. Very strange. But... In any case, we could talk about that for the entire episode, but we're not going to, right? We're going to—anything else you wanted to add on The Last Dance before we move on? Um, I, I, I would say my overall feeling from it is sadness and pity for Jordan. Um, here we have a guy, I believe he's in his 50s now, um, who can't let go of things from his 20s and yeah. early 30s. Um, and he's just fixated on it. Yep. Uh, and And— you know, at some point watching, I just go, this is sad, yep. you know, that, 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 that he really can't let this go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I had similar thoughts. Um, and even, I think I, I said this to my wife, that one of my impressions walking away from that is I do think that MJ still is the GOAT. Mm-hmm. But I think LeBron's a better human being. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Um, I mean, look at LeBron opening schools and 
being uh, being involved in. I mean, I mean, MJ was involved in a, a movie, but not movies like LeBron mm-hmm. is, right? LeBron was an actor in a in a in a movie several years ago and is involved in stuff all the time in Hollywood now. Yeah. And then this, I already mentioned this, but the schools he's opening up in Cleveland and and all those things. I I agree. I think he's a better human being. Um, and I think I think Kobe was too. Um, I think Kobe was a was a. Now we we don't want to get into to everything that Kobe did, but yeah, Kobe seemed to have a good relationship with his wife at the. You know, they they certainly had their problems, but were able right. to move past them, uh, and seemed to have a good relationships with his with his children as well, which I imagine would be part of a documentary about Kobe. Yeah, yeah, and um, ESPN is sort of fast tracking some more kind of thirty for thirty document series documentary. Uh, that they have in the pipeline, they've got one on Lance Armstrong. I think pretty that's a ex- I'm two-parter that starts I'm excited about that Sunday. One. Yeah, and then I think there's one on um, Bruce Lee that they're gonna do. Okay, <laughs> and then another one on um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. I'm from really, the 90, I'm really, is that the '98 season as well? Was that that might now? You see, I remember that one more clearly. Like I remember following that. Uh, that that seemed to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm less excited about the Bruce Lee one, but but perhaps that's interesting. Lance Armstrong though should be fascinating because he beat cancer. He was the, the greatest cheater that ever lived. Yeah, maybe absolutely. You know, it, it should be great. Yeah. So our main topic for today, um, as we brainstorm to think about what are we going to talk about today, um, as is usual b- via text conversation on a Sunday and Monday. <laughs> We landed on the topic of why theology matters. Yeah. And so I think that it, it, it'll come as no shock to many of our listeners that theology matters to us. Mm-hmm. We both work at an institution that teaches theology, that equips pastors, missionaries, church leaders to think theologically. So, Well, we have theological in our title, right? Yeah, Grace, Grace Theological, theological Seminary. Seminary. And so— but we've also uh, been around enough people in enough church contexts and such that you've been exposed to a question like or statements. Let's put them as statements. Well, doctrine divides. So mm-hmm. why focus on doctrine? Doctrine divides people. Why can't we all just get along, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, or, or or statements like theology doesn't really matter. What matters is loving Jesus. Mm-hmm. And as long as you love Jesus. Theology really doesn't matter. So we felt like it'd be a good opportunity to kind of talk through some of those issues and try to make a case for why the actual theology does actually matter. And I imagine that many of our listeners will sort of uh, could, could fall under the category of you're preaching to the choir here, but I'm sure they hear those same things. Sure. And so maybe even at a minimum, we can help them think through and then perhaps articulate to people why does theology matter? Yeah, I was at a uh, just just to illustrate the the point. I was at a at a gathering of local pastors um, for for our area. So variety of denominations, variety of backgrounds, um, even some parachurch ministries short, sort of coming together. Mm-hmm. And we were brainstorming about what does our community need, those sorts of things. The the sheriff was there talking about our community, all these things. Um, and there was one individual who was just like, we need to get rid of denominations. That's, that's the problem. And, you know, just kind of, just kind of <laughs> nod along and you're just like, 
okay, you know, you know, we we there there's good reason we have uh, uh, denominations and, yeah. and and we have divided over doctrine, and I think there are times to divide over doctrine. But that yeah. that was that was one example of sure. of a time when that happens, and I'm sure lots of our listeners have, have heard comments like that. Right, and I will say that it's. Uh, as your illustration demonstrates, it's not just sort of lay people sitting in the in the chairs or the pews who mm-hmm. will say things like this. Sometimes you have even church leaders making statements along these lines that, well, theology really doesn't matter. Like what we need to focus on is loving Jesus, loving people, and you know, that that's the really important stuff. Yeah. So John Sloat as professor of church history here <laughs> at, uh, at at Grace and a member of our uh, our staff and faculty, where would you start with someone who says that? Let, let's say let's say it's let's start with the let's start with the pastor or the church leader who says, "I don't know what the big deal is about theology. I'm just interested in helping people love Jesus and love other people." Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll quote a uh, former president from Grace Seminary, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, John Davis, who said that if you're not going to talk about theology, the only thing left in the Bible are the maps and the indexes. <laughs> which that's is a, which is a good line, right? Yeah, that's a good line. Uh, uh, you know, um, when we say something about God, or when we make a statement about what Christianity says, or what we say, or about what our denomination says about something, yeah. it is a theological statement. Yeah. So everybody does theology at some level or another. Some people do it uh, better than others, certainly. Right. Uh, but but everybody does theology. So so the idea that I, I think the, the idea that we need to get rid of theology and just love people is a misnomer. Yeah, and I think that. Um, not only do people not not only does everyone do theology, everyone has a theology, right? When you think about theology in the most basic sense as whatever it is you believe about God. Hmm. So even the person on the street who's never taken a theology class or ne- might not even understand what the word theology means, if you ask them, who is God or what is God like? Whatever answer they give is theological. Yeah, it's a statement of theology that they are giving you. Even if they say, I don't think God exists. Well, that's a theological statement. It is a theological statement, yeah. And so um, I remember early on in my uh, Christian experience reading a book by A.W. Tozer called Knowledge of the Holy. Have mm-hmm. you read this? Uh, I think I read it a long, long time sure. ago. Sure. Yeah, it's a classic. Tozer yeah. was was active in the, uh, you know, I think in like the 40s and 50s. So this is uh, a bit old school, but he has a memorable line that's, I believe it's the first line in the book, which says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, Hmm. which is in one sense, I think absolutely spot on because what is more, what is more important when you think about it than what you think about God? Because ultimately he goes on to argue that Pretty much everything else you think and, and and do in some way comes out of that, flows out of that, or is impacted by that, what you think about God. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, what, uh, well, so what, maybe, maybe getting at the problem, why do some people come say, 
well, doctrine divides. You know, we, we need to we need to get rid of denominations. We need to get rid of uh, our division. We just need to look. What's what's the best case scenario behind that statement in, in your thinking? And, and how do we begin to correct some of that thinking? Maybe right. I think it the most charitable way to uh, understand that statement is that likely that person has been exposed to theology in a way that is off-putting, mm-hmm. meaning that it is often talked about or or discussed in a way that, first of all, is seemingly impractical. That all these complex discussions about the Trinity, one essence, three persons, and all those sort of discussions, and you know, you know this from your from your church history teaching days, right? Mm-hmm. From 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 teaching, you know, you start to work through some of the different nuances of the heresies when it comes to Trinitarianism, and it can be easy just to feel your eyes roll up into your head and be like, "Why does this matter? Yeah, like, does this really have any impact on how I live as a spouse, how I interact with my neighbor, what kind of person I am at work, like?" It's understandable that on an immediate touching the surface level, someone would go, how is that even remotely practical to me? Yeah. Which part of what I want to push back with is, um, since when did practicality become the ultimate determiner of what we should talk about? Yeah. Like some people can elevate practicality as this, well, if I can't immediately draw a straight line from this teaching to what I do tomorrow afternoon, then it's like, well, that's not practical. So why do I need to worry about this? And that's a very American thing, to be honest, right? And and uh, and uh, enlightenment, post-enlightenment sort of thinking as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on one level, there's the pragmatism, the how is that practical? You know, what seems far more practical is three principles to um, to being a good neighbor, Mm-hmm. You know, speak kindly, do nice things, and mow uh, your grass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, a steady diet of that. Oh wow, that's practical. I can walk. I can walk away from that and go. Yep, that's what I have to do, without any sort of seeming obvious foundation for that. Right? Sure. Why would you do that? I mean, why do you want to? Why should you be a good neighbor? Why do you want to be a good neighbor? You know, those kind of questions don't seem to surface. Well, it's obvious. I should just be. Why? Yeah. Why not be a bad neighbor? What's to stop you from being a bad neighbor? What are the consequences of being a bad neighbor? Who is the ultimate neighbor? Like, why does God want us to be this way? Like, those kind of questions, I think, can sometimes just be pushed to the side. Well, it's obvious. Everyone should be a good neighbor. Well, and and part of theology is discovering truth, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Discovering truth about our reality, discovering truth about God. And when we live in accordance with that truth— uh, I think we find that the the practical things come along. Um, you know, uh, when <laughs> when I hear people talk about, oh, it needs to be practical. We need these three steps, or what, what have you. It's, it tends to be a bit more complicated than that. It it seems to be that the idea is like if you were planting trees in your yard, which you're planning on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm only going to plant trees I get something from, right? I'm only going to plant fruit bearing trees. Mm-hmm. Well, that. Frankly, that's just ridiculous. You need a variety of trees, sure. right? Uh, and so, um, I, 
I'll tell the story in my one thing I liked, but we just planted a, a tulip tree in our backyard. It's going to it's going to bear no fruit, but it is going to be it is going to grow uh, slowly but surely and it is going to be absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's kind of theology, right? It, it doesn't necessarily have fruit. Well, it does have fruit, but my metaphor is breaking down. But but it's something beautiful <laughs> that we can look at, yeah. understand, and it does shape us and form us. Right. I think this is a bit of a side uh, a side road here, but um, I think we often underestimate the power of beauty mm-hmm. to motivate and to uh, to shape us into who we are that I think God has wired us to see his beauty, and that's supposed to change us. And it does transform us. It, it, it changes us into a closer reflection of him. And so that's part of the role that theology plays. It helps us understand who God is. And even that statement earlier about, you know, why can't we just work, focus on loving Jesus? Okay, so who is Jesus? Who yeah. is he? Any statement that you say next is a theological statement. Yeah. Is he just a man? Is he God? How does that work? Is he a good teacher? Right. What did he do? Mm-hmm. What's the significance of what he did? All those, all those sorts of things that that help us understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Those are theological statements, and so if we neglect that, inevitably you just have an interest in being nice. Let's just try to be nice people, with no foundation, really. Yeah. Yeah, you end up. Uh, how? What's the research term? Moral therapeutic deist, right? Isn't yeah. that deistic uh, uh, therapeutic moralist, moralistic deism? Yeah. I, it's David Wells, I think, coined it. Or yeah. Maybe it's Christian Smith, but in any case, uh, the this idea of of just just be a good person and with no foundation whatsoever. But I also think another factor in um, why some people shy away from theology is the people who teach it do it poorly. And this is on us in part, yeah. right? Because we're, we're part of that crowd. We at some level teach theology. And so part of what needs to be done is when teaching theology that you need to help people see the connections between if God is like this, mm-hmm. then we should be like that. Or because God is like this, we should respond in certain ways. We should live in certain ways. We should shape our thinking and our feeling and our actions in certain ways because God is like this or Jesus is like this or because God has done this. And I think that when we fail to draw out those connections, that reinforces the, why does this matter? Yeah. I, I also think that uh, that people who teach theology, and, and we have a wonderful theology prof here at Grace who, who I, I think does a really excellent job. Um, there tends, when, 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 we, when we teach theology, there tends to be a top-down approach, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the truth, let me give it to you, right? Um, I, th- I think a good theology teacher encourages some curiosity yep. in their students and allows them to discover some of those things. Uh, you know, in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Reflections on the Psalms, he talks about, in the introduction, he talks about uh, you know, students who come to their professor for answers, uh, who and the professor, oh, well, this is the answer, deflates his students mm-hmm. uh, because he's forgotten the joy of discovery, right? And uh, and encouraging those things. Um, one 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 quick thing that I that I want to ask you is, um, and I think we've been dancing around it a, a little bit, but there is a place for doctrine to divide. Yes, absolutely. Wh- where where is that line, and 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 how do we how do we how do we do it? Yeah. 
Well, that's that's something that the church has debated through the last 2,000 years at some level, right? And Matt Harmon is here to give you an answer today. <laughs> well, in, in the spirit of um, your just previous comment of not giving the answer and allowing yeah. self-discovery on the part of our, reader, <laughs> our listeners, um, I do think that uh, you have to reflect on what truths are absolutely essential to uh, to Christianity. And so in those kinds of discussions, you're talking about the identity of God. He is Trinity. He is a triune God. You're talking about who is Jesus. You're talking about what did Jesus do and how do we uh, come into a right relationship with him. Those, those are some of the fundamentals where if you get a departure in those areas, you have stepped outside the realm of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and moved into some form of heresy, and oftentimes that you know that term heresy is thrown around way too much, way way too much. Yes, but uh, I think a helpful way of sort of dividing that line is to say, if a person does not believe this, they're not saved. Like they're so far out of step with what uh, the Bible teaches about who God is that they are no longer in the faith. So. There's a sense, and not that you have to have this perfect understanding. Like, I don't expect that every Christian has a perfect understanding of the hypostatic union. I don't even care that you necessarily know what that phrase means. Yeah. (laughs) Which, it's a way of talking about the unity between Jesus' divine and human natures and how they are in one person, yet he has two natures. Like, that gets deep real quick. But I do care that you understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I don't care that you can necessarily parse out the finer points of how that works, Mm -hmm. but you do need to believe in the full deity of Jesus. You do need to believe in the full humanity of Jesus because the the gospel hangs on it. The gospel doesn't work without that. So those are some of the fundamental truths. Whether you are a a, – whether you believe in infant baptism or believer's baptism. I think that's a great one. That's not a salvation issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the places where you start to to think through. But I'm sure you've got thoughts on sort of parsing out those. Yeah, yeah. Realities. I would I would recommend a book. I actually just picked it up. It came out just a few weeks ago, I think. But uh, uh, Gavin Ortland mm-hmm. uh, just came out with a book, Finding yep. the Right Hills to Die On. Yeah, and he has he has levels, and and I'm just to the introduction and part of the first chapter currently. Uh, but he has four levels that he sort of parses out and. And says where we can, you know, this is a, kind of kind of what you laid out: essential to the gospel. What's gonna for what's gonna cause us to worship together, but not worship somewhere else? What's going right. to cause us to be able to partner together, and then what's gonna cause us to not even partner together? The, the, those are sort of the basic breakdowns of his levels. But I'd recommend his book, Gavin Ortland, Finding the Right Hills to Die On. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, any any other resources you would recommend there, yep. Doc? Well, I mentioned the uh, A.W. Tozer book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, very helpful, pretty accessible. Uh, maybe another step up in terms of challenge, but still I think pretty accessible is J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, sort of a classic that is— uh, Yeah, I used to recommend that to, to college students all the time. Yeah, yeah. Really? Still, still do. <laughs> so good, so good. His chapter on adoption in there is— so, so helpful. And then this is probably a, another step up from that, but John Piper wrote a book called The Pleasures of God, hmm. 
where he talks about um, some of God's different attributes that I think is is very good. And, and, you know, Piper is very gifted at helping you see the majesty and the beauty of God in all that he does. And so that can be a good place to, to look as well. So is it time for our athletes? I think so. I think so. Number 20, Doc, who uh, who's on our list today? Yeah, so this list... Um, how about I go ahead and get the Ohio State player out of the way? Because there's not really a lot to work with with okay. number 20 in, in Ohio State uh, lore here. But Nate Clements was a defensive back in the late 90s who was really, really good. Sort of hmm. the one of the early um, guys who began that process of Ohio State becoming DBU, defensive back university, of okay. the tradition of producing elite-level corners. Okay. So, but uh, on to the main contenders— so from the NFL, Barry Sanders. Heck of a running back. Amazing, amazing running back. And then from the world of baseball, you've got Lou Brock, hmm. uh, St. Louis Cardinal from the 60s, maybe 70s. Uh, Mike Schmidt, former Philly third baseman yeah. from the, uh, again, in the 70s, 80s range. Uh, I believe he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think, do you think I think so. That sounds right to me. Yeah. He was also a graduate from Ohio University, my alma mater. Oh, so that's he was a, he was a yeah. big deal there. <laughs> and then another third baseman, um, Frank Robinson. He was a third baseman, wasn't he? believe so. Played for yeah. the Orioles, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, from the NBA, Gary Payton, the glove. The glove. Mentioned in the last yeah. dance. Uh, Manu Ginobili, one of the yeah. more successful international players. Argentinian, right? Yep. Ray Allen. Uh, well known for his role in the Celtics championships, and then he went to the Heat and hit one of the biggest shots in NBA history. Yeah, that saved the uh, the Heat from elimination. And he, he was a great individual player with Seattle as yes. well. Yeah, one of the all time great uh, three point shooters, though not one of the top ten all time NBA players, as one of my sons ranked them in a discussion about a year ago. Hmm. Well, did you see uh, this is we gave him such endless trash for that. Uh, (laughs) The NBA or ESPN came out with the top 74 NBA um, athletes of all time, NBA players of all time. Okay. Recently. I didn't see that. Okay. That'd be something to look at. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So um, who we got? Who you want to go with? (sighs) Um, Are we good with eliminating the baseball crowd there? Lou Brock, Mike Schmidt, Frank Robinson. I'd like to keep Frank around. Okay. But the other two, I'm fine. Um, I'll eliminate Nate, Nate Clemens. Yeah, um, obviously. Uh, goodness, everybody else I think is in play for me. Anybody you want to eliminate? Eliminate? Um, I'd get rid of both Gary Payton and Manu Ginobili. Okay. Um, and quite frankly, it's just because I didn't like either of them as players. Okay. <laughs> Um, while still acknowledging they were really good. Yeah. Um, so Ray Allen, Barry Sanders, Frank Robinson. It doesn't sound like you're sold on Frank. Not, not especially. Okay. But I, to me, out of that list, Barry Sanders stands apart. Sort of elevates. Okay. He was the most elusive running back I've ever seen. I'm not saying he's the greatest. Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, yes. And, and then I, the Lions, yeah. I've heard rumors that when he was a freshman— uh, there was a senior running back that was ahead of him, 
And the opposing team was saying, do not injure that running back because we do not want to see Barry Sanders on the field. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen someone so elusive. The ability to change direction so rapidly was remarkable. And he single-handedly carried those Lions teams into the playoffs where they would eventually get crushed because a team would be good enough to just say, we are stopping him at all costs and make the quarterback actually throw the ball. And, and the quarterback couldn't, couldn't throw the ball. That. So yep. let's, let's go with Barry Sanders. Okay, I'm on board with that. Good. Okay. One thing we like this week. Well, Matt, uh, <laughs> this week this week I got married, and so uh, you know the the wedding ceremony was certainly certainly a highlight, but probably probably the better the the greater highlight was just spending the last uh, four days with uh, with my bride and uh, enjoying time together. Even though it's yeah. uh, COVID and we couldn't take the honeymoon <laughs> we wanted, um, we got away for yeah. a couple of days and have been spending time together. And today we're back to work. So, how yeah. about yourself? Well, I. That is my one thing I liked this week as well, getting to perform the Sloat wedding ceremony um, and getting to spend time with your family as well mm-hmm. as uh, getting to meet Andrea's parents and the sister. Yeah, they're very sweet, aren't they? Yeah, I had some great conversations with them and um, just fun to get to to be a part of that very exclusive. Very exclusive wedding. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the chapel that you had it in was nice, not what you had originally planned. Not what we had originally planned, but that was very nice, and the the weather was cooperated. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we were able to find two different restaurants where we could actually eat in. So that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, my wife and I had a a great time getting to uh, be with the Slope family and with with Andrea's parents and and sister as well. And Andrew's family are big podcast listeners to yeah. us. So. so shout out to them. And I think I think they, they sought you out because they were like, <laughs> here's my thoughts on the podcast yeah. at different times, which was a lot of fun. It is a lot yeah. of fun. It is a lot of fun. So, um, And it was good to see your brothers as well, Joel. Yeah, and, it had been a while and, since and I had seen James them, so. and his wife, Nicolette. So very much enjoyed connecting with them. And your father's always interesting to talk to, always oh, engaging. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it, it. Seems crazy that it that day is finally here, and now you're on the other side of it, and you're starting your your married life. All all of at this point, what four days in? All four days in. Yeah. <laughs> so when's the marriage book coming out? Uh, the marriage book probably in the next year. You okay. know, publishers, yeah. COVID, all these things are uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that seems about right. That seems about right. So. Well, I think we are ready to say mission accomplished. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I think we got out of this episode what we wanted, right? Last Dance, some uh, Why Theology Matters, Barry Sanders, talking about your nuptials. Yeah. All good stuff. And so I think at this point, all that's left to say is the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.